Welcome back to another episode of the Cornell Thank You Podcast. I'm Michelle here with Steph, right after our talk with Laurie Appel-Barkman. Shout out to Lou Diamond for yet another great guest. We appreciate you, Lou. Thank you so much. This was a very interesting episode with some giggles. Yeah, we covered a lot of topics. So our keywords for today are Sherpa, Shortcake, and Succession. And you'll find out what we're talking about right after we roll the intro. Listeners, today we have Lori Appel Barkman. She is the founder and CEO of Small Dot Big LLC, and she's also known as the business transition Sherpa. She is a award-winning podcaster, an author, a professor. She does it all. Lori, you found time for us. Welcome to our podcast. Stephanie and Michelle, I am so excited to be with both of you. I love your show. We're so glad you're here. We have a lot to talk about. People call you the business transition Sherpa, which gives me visions of live slope. So let's go back to (laughs) Cornell, where you grew up and why you picked it. I grew up in upstate New York, like way upstate, Albany area, suburb of Albany called Colony. And I knew of Cornell, there were people from my public high school that went there, but not that many. My sister is one of them. So my sister is three years older than me, Sherry. Being the younger child, I wanted to do my own thing and go in a different direction. So I looked at other colleges very, very seriously, but ultimately made the decision to come to Cornell because uh, of a variety of reasons, which I'm sure we'll dive into. And it ended up being awesome that she and I had one year overlap. And now as alumni, it's been really cool to have her and, and myself in the Cornell family. You're not the first person who had a sibling at Cornell that said that they didn't want to go and then they couldn't resist. So when you arrived on campus, where were you living? And then how often did you see your sister? Did you make your own social life? I was in U-Haul 3 and she was really cool. She was a senior, right? Had access to things that I didn't have as a freshman. And she was pretty inclusive. We would meet for lunch. She lived in college town with uh, amazing friends that she had lived with for years. So she knew them really, really well. And they embraced me as Sherry's little sister. And that's figurative and literal because she's a lot taller than I am. And (laughs) they would include me in parties, not every party, and that's okay, but definitely included me and some of my freshman friends that I was becoming close to uh, to the parties. And I felt super cool. I mean, it was like, yeah, I'm going to a senior party, you know. (laughs) Um, No, my sister was really great in college. I think both of us had a nice maturity from high school to college, and we really got close, I think, because of being in the same school. And were you in the same school within Cornell or or what school were you in when you got there? I was ILR, Industrial and Labor Relations, and my sister was in AGEC. Why did you pick ILR? Were you thinking about going into a law career or what were you thinking at the time when you applied? I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that if I went to ILR, I I would have the answer. It was a very focused program. And I didn't really think that I wanted to go into law school. It wasn't that type of idea. I think for me, my interest was on the organization side. I was really active, really probably overly active in high school in all kinds of leadership with the school. I was student Senate president for two years. I served in the Senate for four, uh, class secretary for four years. I was one of those kids, right? I was one of those leaders in the school and I enjoyed the organizational side of it. How do you how do you get momentum for things? How do you 
move things forward. And I didn't know what that all meant, but today we would look at that and say organizational behavior, organizational dynamics, leadership dynamics. I didn't have those words and phrases in my head. I didn't know what human resource management was. I just knew as I went through looking at the catalog for ILR that the subjects interest me. Both of my parents were uh, union members, not that that was driving anything, but at least gave me some familiarity with the labor movement. And I was really interested in the idea of leaving college with a, a kind of a skill or a job. And ILR is geared for that, where you, you know, as you said, do you, you want to go to law school? Very, very few people go into the labor movement and to be a leader in the labor movement. And that was not my thing. I didn't want to do that. And But the biggest growing area was human resource management. And that's what really intrigued me. And so that's the path I followed. Oh, interesting. Were there opportunities on campus for you to get involved in student government or did you get involved in student government at Cornell? You know, it's so interesting. I was really burned out from high school due to sort of being maybe overly committed. I had good grades, but still how I balanced everything with sports and clubs and social life. I think when I got to Cornell, I, I wanted to just buckle down with academics. I didn't pursue any of those leadership activities. There was one, my objective at Cornell was to make great friends, you know, be into the campus, be into the life. And I dabbled in some things, but um, I really didn't get into student government now. So you were class of what, 93? Class of 93. Okay. So we probably overlapped one year. We graduated, you started in 89 probably then. Correct. Yeah. So what, what did you get involved in? What was your social life like? Who were you hanging out with? When I first got there as a freshman, I was trying other things besides, like I said, not student government, but everything else. I tried pottery. I was in the Cornell Concert Commission. You mean you brought live entertainment to the school? Is that what that Live is? entertainment came to the school. I wasn't involved with that part of the committee. I was on security. Oh. So they would give us our concert t-shirt, bright yellow, bright orange, whatever it was. There, the two concerts I remember working at was Joe Jackson and Erasure, remember yes, Erasure? The band? Uh, we were there. We were there. Yeah, and they wore those bubble heads over yeah, there. Yeah, and like, like sequin short shorts. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. The thing for us in security was no smoking, you know, no drinking. I remember being outside of Barton Hall and I was kind of walking the line just to make sure I was watching what was going on. You know, I'm five foot two, by the way. Yeah, I'm not a very big. A petite security guard. Yes. <laughs> and I actually had somebody put out cigarettes. <laughs> So that was, that was one thing. Now, the other part of your question, I do need to mention, so I'd met my husband, October, 1989. Right after you started. Right after we started. How did you meet? We were in U-Haul three. So I was on floor one. He was on floor two. And our meetup story has to do with intramural soccer. Ooh, Neither nice. one of us were on the team, but both of us had people living on our floor. They were like, Hey, we need people to play tonight. You want to play? And he said, yes. And I had just said, yes. And then we all met outside U-Haul three and we had to walk up to the fields, which as you might remember is so freaking far. Yes. We talked the whole time walking up there. We were both playing fullback. We talked on the field. One of our amazing friends, Jeff, who my husband is Martin and Martin and Jeff were high school friends and roommates. And Jeff to this day still loves to tell that story. He was like, you guys just kept talking on the soccer field. I didn't think we were going to get anything done back there. <laughs> and we just clicked. And of course, we then from there, we kept running into each other in the dorm. And that was it. We've been together ever since. That's a real Cornell romance. Yeah. Yeah. 
I would be less excited if you said you met as security guards, but the intramural <laughs> no. soccer does it for me. And you dated straight through your whole Cornell? Straight through. Wow. Yeah, including uh, junior year, I was in Denmark. Not the whole year, I was like away for semester, but straight through that as well. Oh, well, tell us about that. What did you do in Denmark? With ILR, I was looking for a program that would, would take the credits back and forth, right? So I needed these courses to transfer to ILR. That was really important to me. And then the other thing is I wanted a program where English was the predominant language and I didn't have to learn the other language. Of course I did and I tried to do so. And then the other aspect of the program, which is called the Denmark International Study Program, it was really well-established, had an excellent reputation at that time. It was already about 40, 50 years old. And it was in the heart of Copenhagen. My boyfriend at the time, I now my husband has a, his, his family is Swedish. He's Swedish. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. I'm in Scandinavia, but it's sort of my thing and it's not Sweden, but uh, I'll be in the Scandinavian culture. And I thought that would be pretty fun. And I just had the most amazing life-changing experience. I am still very much in touch with my Danish family. I lived with a host family. My Danish parents came to our wedding um, and my daughter just traveled to Denmark this summer and she went to see them. So nice. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. My son did a study abroad in Copenhagen. It's a great study abroad city. It's a great city. Yeah. Yeah. So amazing. So in your social life at Cornell, were you and Martin in the same friend group? In other words, did you have all the same guy and girlfriends or you had your social life and he had his social life? And were you guys in the Greek system? I was in Alpha Chi Omega. Oh, okay. And he was in Pi Kappa Alpha, which is how my husband knows Lou. Because they were in the same fraternity. So that friend group is very close. For me, you know, with Alpha Omega, one of my very, very best friends, Jackie, she and I met freshman year. Really, Jackie has been my my heart and soul with with that house. So when we would go out, I would go out with my girlfriends and and then we would sometimes meet up. But generally speaking, we had our separate groups, which I think was really healthy. Me and my girls, we love to dance. So we love going to other fraternity parties, not just not just Pika, but going to other houses and dancing. And we didn't go, we didn't venture into Ithaca too much, downtown Ithaca. We stayed pretty much on campus for our for our social life. All right. So she had the dream experience on campus. But as your studies started to wind down, what were you thinking about? I know you said you went into human resources. How did that look to you? I got a wonderful internship in the summer after my junior year with Ingersoll Rand company, which ended up being amazing. And the recruiter for the company, for the corporation was an ILR alum, Marty. And it was just one of those experiences that summer where I re- it just clicked for me. I really enjoyed the work. I was living in Connecticut. And then that did lead to a full-time offer. So I was really excited about that. The challenge that Martin and I faced at the time, if we can all put ourselves back in 1993, there was no email. We weren't using email. There's no cell phones. There's no Zoom. And we decided we wanted to be together. And we looked at a map and we said, whoever got a job first, the other person would try to be in the same city. Well, he got, he was a chemical engineer and he got a job with Procter & Gamble in Baltimore. So that map pretty much in the midpoint of where Ingersoll Rand's facility was, and it was about an hour away-ish for each of us. But that was our go forward strategy was we were going to be together. We were going to make this work. And, and it did. And so what year did you get married? 95. Okay. And then where did you and Martin end up settling? Well, we had a couple of different stints. Uh, he went to business school first. So he went to the Wharton school in Philly 
and we were living kind of in central PA at that time because of my job. And then eventually I decided it was my turn to get an MBA. And that's when we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we've been in Pittsburgh since 1997. Where did you do your MBA? Carnegie Mellon University. What was the next step? Yeah. So the transition for me and why I wanted to get my MBA was uh, undergrad, where I went to work was manufacturing in HR. And I wanted to completely pivot, not just my field, but the industry. And the only way I could think to do that was to get my MBA. It was a difficult pivot. I wanted to go into marketing and technology. And so that was my focus. When I got to Carnegie Mellon, I was all about it. And, and the way I described the transition was that HR is the psychology of business. And I believe that marketing is the psychology of business too. It was great. And I got really connected into the startup community here. I had a, an awesome career in for 20 plus years in companies small to big in technology, software, services. And I was always on the growth side of things, but eventually I was in e-commerce too. And that got me the, the digital experience that was in many organizations transforming very mature companies into this next era. And I got a call from a recruiter. He said, I'm looking for a CEO. It's part of a long-term succession plan. It's a third generation company in Pittsburgh. And they're looking for somebody with an e-commerce background. It took about six months. And what it was, was a division of a third generation privately held logistics company. And the person who was running my business unit was retiring. And they said in the interview process, we want you to work here for the next 20 years. We're not just interviewing you for the next two, which was amazing to hear. And how it all unfolded was that I was there for three years. At the midpoint was the sale of the company to FedEx. So uh, I'll kind of pause uh, on that for a moment. You know, it just, it was an amazing experience. It got me started in my career now in mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I was part of a management team. There were about 12 of us who transferred over into the new entity. I became an SVP, an officer of FedEx, which is kind of a cool title. But, you know, it was very short-lived, unfortunately for me. I, I thought I'd be there for a really long time, and it was just pretty much through integration, and then and then my role was transitioned out. And it is what it is, you know, and you learn to deal with things that you can't control, and that was certainly one of them for me. And that's what got me started in my role now as a business advisor working with M&A. That was the foray. I worked in private equity. It was the other side of the deal table. And I realized I'm a deal junkie. I like working on transactions and I have always orbited entrepreneurs and I support entrepreneurs and this phase of their entrepreneurial journey, which is the, it could be their, their closing phase for not, not for everybody, for, but for some it is, right? They want to retire. They want to truly do something different. Some people want to start another company and that's where I am now. And so when did you start small dot big? I started it in 2012. Okay. It was after a business transition. I had been part of a, a company that was affected by a lot of regulatory changes. And I was in the first wave of downsizing. And I thought that I would start a firm and do consulting. And that summer was actually really fun. I had two instant clients, two good friends of mine. I worked on fun projects with them. And I was like, wow, that was easy. Business development was so easy. <laughs> <laughs> and then those projects finished up and I was like, oh, wow, feast and famine. This is tough. It ended up being a good thing. But at the time I realized I really wasn't ready to be on my own and do the independent consulting thing truly and go through the cycles of work and, and up and downtime. I want at that time, it was important for our family that I had more stable income. 
And my husband and I talked about it. I had this other opportunity and we agreed, okay, I'm going to go for that. And I did, which which was a startup and it got me back into the startup world. And it, it, was, it was good for me. I put small.big on ice for about 10 years. And then when I was ready after leaving, call it corporate America, I didn't want to create another firm. I just took it off the ice. I had maintained the LLC. My focus and my interest was different. So I re branded, if you will. And um, it's even evolved over the past three years. It's evolved um, two, three times to my current positioning as the business transition Sherpa. So tell us what you mean by business transition Sherpa. It's a movement. Transition is a movement word, right? We hear transition and we think, oh, that's a, not a point in time. It's a, it's a range of things happening over time. And business transition is a way to think about it is from here to there. So I work with clients. What are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? And how are we going to get there? Ideally, someone is working five, 10 years ahead of when they ultimately want to have a baton handoff to another owner. As I say in my book, you know, 100% of business owners are going to leave their company one day, but very, very few are prepared. And the reality of the leaving part is we're either going to leave horizontally or vertically. Yeah. And so many people you hear, it's just sad stories when a spouse dies and, and then you know, say the husband dies and the wife inherits the business. She doesn't know what to do with it. Employees, it, or it just, it just throws things into crisis. The other side of the pitfalls is when we make decisions we regret or we don't make decisions and we regret that too. Mm. So the, the, the book that I've written, which is called the business transition handbook is all about how do we avoid transition pitfalls? How do we have more valuable exit options? So when time is on your side, you can affect change. I use this phrase as kind of an umbrella where we can we can explore other things too, like business continuity planning, you know, co- uh, emergency planning, things of that nature. Legacy planning can fall into that. I'm not an attorney. I'm not a tax advisor. But what I do is I collaborate with those people to help my client get a real total picture of what they should be planning on so that, you know, as somebody once said to me, you can't plan to exit your company when you're exiting your company. <laughs> so Lori, when you analyze a business and you're giving them advice, you need to do A, B, and C. Are you then helping them do A, B, and C or doing it yourself? You need to hire a better CFO. You need to um, get a better website. Are you helping them with those things? Or then they need to go out and do that. And then you come back and yeah, I'm one. I'm the connector. I'm the connector and I'm the one that's helping you understand the framework of what are the priorities, what should you be working on and why. And I will make the connections and recommendations to other advisors or to, you know, executing teams that can do that good work. I have a question about employees of a firm. If they get wind of the fact that somebody is looking to sell, how do you retain them or how do you convince one of them maybe to be the buyer? How do employees factor into a succession plan? We want it to be a tight circle. And for anyone that should be involved in that really tight circle, we need to have them commit to confidentiality. And either they're going to be part of the deal team because of the nature of their job, right? Or maybe they're the other owners of the business. The CFO is a great example. Somebody who we're going to need the financial information. We're going to have a lot of questions. Include. I just got this question yesterday from a, a potential new client. There's five owners and she said, okay, I'm going to, I I would like my CFO. I have to pay your invoice. What do I say to my CFO? And I said, you know what? You probably should let her know that 
you're going to go down this process and this is what we're going to look at. And she's like, that makes total sense. But outside of that tight circle, my recommendation in general is, is people need to know only when they need to know. Sometimes these deals fall through and you don't want to get people all stirred up and distracted, which can easily, easily happen because what happens is as soon as you hear about a deal, it's like, oh, what's in it for me? Where people are just, this is all, it consumes them and they worry. And so we want to try to minimize that. Are you a one woman shop or do you have employees? I have a team of people that I work with. And on the M&A side, I'm a partner with Stony Hill Advisors. Stony Hill has, I think we're about eight advisors in different states. And we have a network of affiliates that we also work with. I think of my team as a virtual team. I have amazing uh, other professionals that I collaborate with. And so while they're not in my firm, it's my Rolodex, right? And I'm the, I'm the bat phone to help make the connections for my clients. So we mentioned earlier that you are an award-winning podcaster. You've also written a book. You are also a professor, an adjunct professor at Carnegie Mellon. How do you carve out your day? Are you working on clients a certain time of the day and your other projects or how do you, how do you organize your life? It's, it's kind of in buckets. I try to have my little color coding calendar. The requirements for the school is in teaching is in the spring and it's in the evening. So it's outside of work hours. So that works out pretty well. And as far as my other things, I, I think about it as having a portfolio. I went through business transition in my forties, which is a little bit young in a career to do so. But what I did was at that time after leaving FedEx is I decided that I wanted to have a portfolio career and not just one employer career. And the way I structured it has taken time to build. It's taken about five, seven years to build. But the things that you mentioned are the things that I'm, I'm really proud of and that, yeah, I do parse my time for them. Client work is, is put on my calendar. What happens on, you know, what goes on the calendar, it happens. And so I do schedule work time with clients, calls with clients, prospecting, lunches, calls, et cetera, et cetera. So most of my time is spent on current client work or new client work. I do a lot of speaking engagements, which we're all fortunate for these digital opportunities. Yeah. And I am aspiring to do more of them in person, which would be amazing. And the book is, is giving me an outlet for that. Uh, but many times it's, you know, and just trying to find time for working out and being with my family. I think it's like a little puzzle that we all have to find the right balance. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's take a little walk down memory lane of your Cornell time. So we're going to go through our speed round and get some of your favorites from your Cornell years. All right. Go ahead, Mish. What was your favorite off-campus dining? Joe's and the Nines. When you and Martin were celebrating a special occasion, where would you, where would he take you? We went to Taconic Farms. Where did you study? I liked the stacks of Eurus Library. And when it was a special treat, I would go into E.B. White. When you say special treat, you had a prelim, what, what was happening in there? Yeah, why was that a special treat? <laughs> I was reading something. It wasn't that deep. Uh, you know, if I really had to hardcore write a paper or do something, I went to the stacks. I did not want to see another human being. Okay. What bar was your go-to bar? Ruloff's. What was your go-to drink there? I don't know. Probably beer. What song brings you right back to the Pika dance floor? You know, it's funny, the dance floor is, was was your classic 90s, you know, dance music. But like Brown Eyed Girl was really popular, you know, Van Morrison in that time. But when I would get ready to go out, I would always put on New Order. Did you ever go to Hot Truck and what was your order? 
Yeah, I was pretty boring. I mean, I would just get the pep. PMP pep. PMP pep. Did your sister give you her ID? Yes. All right. Michelle has a very random question for you. This is our question of the day. Yeah. We like to ask a very strange question and get the guest take. So we have a new friend, Liz, and she asked me this question the other day. When you talk about, and I'm not going to say the word because I'm just going to hint at it. When you talk about the flaky French pastry, do you pronounce it croissant or croissant? The first. Croissant with the, with the R. With the R. I say croissant with the W. How do you say it? When Liz first asked me, I said, I say croissant with a W, but then I noticed the next day when I got an almond croissant, I said croissant when I ordered. So I don't know Um, if I have a loyalty to either, but I would like to know what we should do as Americans. Croissant. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. There is an R there, but I really think the correct pronunciation is qua. I think it is. But what she was saying that her kids think that she sounds very effective. Pretentious. pretentious. Very effective. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I think croissant is the way to go. All right. That's my vote. Good for you. All right. I want to ask you something, and I'm going to give you a chance to take this back because we listened to your episode with Lou Diamond, and he asked you your favorite summertime dessert, and you said strawberry shortcake. Of all the things in the world, that would be my last thing. Are you sure you want to stick with that answer? I'm pretty much going to stick with it, but here's the caveat. It's got to be really good strawberries. It can't be from the jar, and it can't be mush. They have to be spot on, fresh, that can't beat it. And the whipped cream has to be fresh whipped cream. No yes. cool whip, nothing from a spray can. If you give me some real fresh, absolutely hands down. Yeah, it's awesome. She has defended that choice, Michelle. Would, would you have get that? On the switch. No, but I wouldn't turn it away. I like strawberry shortcake. What's your favorite summertime dessert? Key lime pie. Okay, me too. All right. Yeah. Okay. And you have a sour tooth. <laughs> yeah, I also like the lemon meringue. There you go. You have a sour tooth. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm confused by the lemon meringue. I don't understand the consistency of that. And that's a hard pass, as is the strawberry shortcake, because you can't guarantee the strawberries. All right. We're we're gonna have to put that on Best Friend Wars (laughs) next episode. So tell our listeners where they can find you. We'll put it in the show notes too. The website is the business transition sherpa.com. And the book is the business transition handbook, which is on Amazon. And I would love for people to come back to the site after you get the book. There's a, I offer a free digital download of all the exercises in the book. Oh, wow. And if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn, that would be amazing. It's Lori Barkman on LinkedIn uh, and follow me on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. So wherever they want to connect with me and let me know that you heard me on the show. Yeah. Yes. That's great. Well, when Michelle and I are ready to pass along our very successful and lucrative podcast, yes. we are going to call you for some advice. <laughs> All right. So we always end our podcast the same way, Lori, which is to say, when you think back to your time at Cornell, what are you most thankful for? Probably the relationships that I've created, uh, obviously with my family. I mean, it kind of goes back to the roots there. Um, My my friendships, my long lasting friendships. And I think the career, you know, I I really, it's all about you, what you do with it. But Cornell gave me that opportunity to jump into a career when I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I'm grateful for that. Well, thank you so much. You have a great Cornell story, more than we even knew when Lou suggested you. And we're thrilled for you. Good luck with the business. Thank you to Lou Diamond of Thrive Loud for introducing us to you. And we hope you keep in touch. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you both. Thanks, Laura. It was great to meet you. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode of the Cornell Thank You podcast. 